Hello and welcome to Selfie Development, a podcast about the weird and wonderful world of wellness and self-improvement. Each episode we'll be looking at different topics and asking what actually works and what is kind of bullshit. I'm Katie Gordon, a yoga teacher and coach. I'm Annabelle Lee, a writer and ex-yoga teacher. You can come and find us at Selfie Development Pod on Instagram, where we would love to hear from you. We are talking self-development, but kind of sceptical, asking if it really helps, cutting to the chase and seeing if working on yourself can really be a force for good. Are you ready for some selfie development? So this week, we are talking about ethics. It's a massive topic, obviously, and... I'm going to talk very broadly about the wellness industry, ethical guidelines. We're not going to go into detail. It's not going to be um, an analysis or anything. We're just going to have a conversation about where things are in wellness, where there might be weaknesses and and um, things that need improving. There's a few places where that needs to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Such a big topic. Yeah, it's and, massive. And like we want to in this podcast understand how to like navigate the the space Mm. and I guess understanding more about ethics you know what what they are what should be happening what might not be happening is really really crucial to having a good you know having a good experience with anything that you're doing in wellness yeah and a lot of it is very fuzzy and very unclear and the guidelines are just messy and so I I guess it's probably best to say like what is ethics i am reading from the bbc website very basic um so basically ethics is a sim- system of moral principles which affect how people make decisions and lead their lives it's concerned with what is good for individuals and society and also described as a moral philosophy so kind of like how to live a good life what are our rights and responsibility what is right and wrong um how we make moral decisions so that is broadly what we're talking about on the podcast and we're going to talk about the yoga industry but we're also going to talk about um, personal training briefly therapy coaching and a bit about physio and and what the differences are between those kinds of professions and which has guidelines and which have less guidelines and and I guess we should start with mentioning the fact that there are already ethical guidelines in yoga, the yamas yeah. and the yamas that we're supposed to adhere to when we teach. Um, what? So we, so we, Katie and I, are both trained as yoga teachers, mm-hmm. and that is something that comes up in yoga teacher training yeah um when you sort of learn about the history and the heritage of yoga but if people don't know what they are they are sort of historic and really intrinsic part of yoga as a teaching aren't they like yeah so they they come from Patanjali sorry about my pronunciation there um and they are basically yoga's ethical guidelines. So they're like the moral code of conduct for yoga. But they are very... I'm not going to read through them all, but they are things like non-violence, truthfulness, 
um, self-discipline, those kinds of things. And they're pretty broad. So what nonviolence means to one person is, is different to the definition to another. What do you mean by self-discipline? How does that show up in your practice and your teaching? Like it's, it's a guideline, but it can be really differently interpreted by different people. And, you know, you can obviously go much deeper into yoga philosophy and history and find more guidelines and different opinions. But, you know, we're not doing that here. We're, we're talking about what the kind of average person might encounter or, or know. And I guess they are, like you said, they are, they're quite broad. And what might be one person's, let's say, violence might be another person's self-discipline. Mm. Like, you know, if we were talking about like pushing your physical body, one person that might be like an act of violence to some one person, whereas it could be seen as self-discipline to To someone else. else. And so there's real like they're like really good (laughs) principles you know all fundamentally important things that we should probably be trying to do in our everyday lives but because they are quite broad and like nebulous it it can be quite hard to sort of impose that then onto like a modern day like teaching yoga environment for example yeah I think yeah like you say I've been in yoga classes that feel violent like not in the sense where like they're there's literal physical violence but it feels violent for my body because it's too much or it's not right or you know that might be something that someone else really enjoys and really loves like hot yoga class for me or power yoga is like not good for my body um but some people that might be the practice that they enjoy so like yeah you can't say don't do that because it's it's different for the individual totally and what was interesting in that definition is the difference between like a collective ethic ethics or collective ethics mm. and individual ethics as well which might be different from person to person or teacher to teacher or student to student or yeah it's all you know it's it's quite hard to be you know definitive about these things for sure and i i mean full disclosure i also run a yoga studio so you know there are ethical guidelines around that there's a lot it's a it's a minefield it's really hard to get it right all the time and um, but it's something that I think about but ethics might vary in your personal practice in your interpersonal relationships as a teacher and, and then as a studio or as a employee or or a self-employed employee of a studio as well and I guess like also your ethics might change and also sort of what you like what you need and also what feels good to you Mm. one day you know that might change and which is why you know sometimes something's okay and sometimes something's not okay yeah for sure and a lot of people start off practicing like a strong discipline like ashtanga or hot yoga and that's really great for them at that point in their life it can be really brilliant and then they might get injured yeah (laughs) it happens or they might want a slower pace for whatever reason or a different kind of practice. So, yeah, it, it changes, it fluctuates. And that's the th- tricky thing about these kinds of things is that they are so personal and they fluctuate. And, you know, for instance, if you're talking about either a yoga teacher or a PT or even in some cases massage, like when you talk about hands-on adjustments, for some people that's a really wonderful experience and for some people it's it's really not yeah 
Um, and then you get into issues of consent with that as well, obviously. But it's it's very complicated and also can vary day to day, person to person. I don't know about you, but I've had very bad experiences with adjustments and I've also had very good experiences. So it's really hard to get it right for teachers, anyone who works in this industry, like we're not trying to attack anyone. It's really hard to get it right. Totally. And part of that is that the guidelines tend to be fairly fuzzy. (laughs) Yeah. And there's like a complete, um, well, not a complete, but there can be a lack of training around it. Mm. So like I definitely sort of thought, I guess, before I did my yoga teacher training that, you know, you would be told taught really specifically, like, this is okay, this is not... And obviously mm. it's not as black and white as, as that, but then you're sort of qualified and maybe... But actually, your teachers maybe don't... Like, in some industries, and I think yoga's maybe quite a good example of that, might not have the training that you think they have had on some of these ethical... Yeah. It, like, so much of it is down to personal interpretation or I don't think there was much on ethics in my training that I it was a while ago but I think we had something about scope of practice so if you don't know what that means that's like not giving advice that you're not qualified to give or not not uh, doing practices like I wouldn't teach Pilates because it's not within my scope of practice so there was a bit on that but there wasn't really anything on ethics I know that it's more of a thing now on some teacher trainings, but um, it's still not not really a huge topic as far as I'm aware. And um, I don't think there's much on it in, in personal training. I mean, again, I'm not an expert at all, but there doesn't seem to be much on, on that. I mean, broadly, the, the, the guidelines that I found for both yoga and personal training are pretty... The some of them are quite um, straightforward. So some of them are. So if we're talking about, um, so Simspa is the big one for personal training. So for example, and again, we're not doing this in depth, but for example, the creation of a positive and active impact on individuals who engage in sport and physical activity. And I mean, that does go into slightly more detail about it, but it's still, it's pretty broad. If you choose something more like the professionalism and there's there's different disciplinaries and sanctions and malpractice policies, but something like harassment, it becomes, it becomes more detailed. Um, so I would say these are fairly decent. For yoga, like some of the bodies have stronger guidelines than others i know that yoga alliance um in the states has brought out a code of conduct that is more stringent and more comprehensive than has been but some of them there's not much and again like the reporting process is you report to the body that you're a member of and no one has to be a member of a body i don't know if you were i'm i'm not because i don't see the benefit um to me and that's something that I think that maybe isn't very well known, that mm. you actually don't need any qualifications to teach yoga, for example. You have to be a member of a body. Mm. There's, a, I suppose, an accepted industry standard, which would be 
a 200 hour teacher training yeah. course but there's no there's no sort of requirement I guess to have that I mean obviously like if you were teaching at a studio you would probably you need to be insured yeah um but you don't have to be a member of a professional body to get insured yeah and I don't know that many people who are members of these but I don't know how helpful they are. Yeah. Um, and teacher training programmes usually are registered with one, but that's partly because it gives you um, a certification to show prospective students. But again, you don't need to have that. And actually, I was talking to a friend of mine who is training to be a therapist, and he was saying that the same applies to therapy, which surprised me, that you don't actually have to have a qualification you can call yourself a therapist. That is so, excuse the pun, as we talk about therapy, but crazy. Yeah. Like, it's so, people are so fragile and precious when, like, when this, when you're seeking therapy, what a brave thing to do. Mm. And, and I guess the same is true for, like, lots of things in the wellness space. We're often going to these things because we're seeking help and support yeah. and we want to get well. And that's why, like, ethics is so so important generally you're dealing with vulnerable people yeah or people who at least have something going Seek, on they're like we you know we're like seeking something aren't we yeah. generally whether it's just to like feel better in your body but i think there is an assumption that the person that is leading your class or you're coming to for support is drained and like fully capable of like holding that space for you for sure obviously there are things like BACP which you know if you're looking for a therapist it's good to check that your therapist is registered with them I believe they are the main body um but uh, what my friend and I would assume that therapist would be a protected term that you would have to have a certain qualification in order to say that but apparently it's not the case and my friend said something which I thought was really um useful for me clarifying my thinking around this and and it applies to yoga as well is that the clients are the decision makers so you're looking for something you're making your decision about who to choose and they don't really know what anything means so if you're not in the space like if you're not in the yoga space if you're not in the therapy space if you don't know stuff about it if you're new to it you don't know what the, the professional body might mean you don't know what being a member or not being yeah. a member might mean and it it's different depending on like the yoga space maybe it doesn't mean that much therapy yeah it means quite a lot to not be a member so it's like this broad spectrum where if you're looking for someone to uh, be your teacher or um therapist or PT or whatever it is if you don't know what they should have how are you supposed to make good decisions and find someone who does practice ethically totally because it's confusing even if you're in the space oh for sure I never could understand the difference between the yoga various bodies Mm. I know in food and nutrition also there's like a big difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian yeah which I truly wouldn't previously have have thought anything different between the two but I think it's a dietitian you can call yourself after a very limited amount of training but nutritionist requires like full-on oh no it's the other way I can't remember which way around it is I I don't know which way around it is but I feel like there's even divisions within nutritionists isn't it like you can be 
I think it's very one of those things that is very complex with diet and and it's the same with yoga teachers and PTs like you can do a really great 200 hour yoga training you can do a really great PT qualification but you can also do a really shitty one that takes you two days to do yeah like there's so much variation yeah I've just looked this up. Okay. Any anyone <laughs> I did get it totally wrong. Anyone can call themselves a nutritionist, but dietitians you have to be registered and you know like properly qualified. See, a nutritionist to me sounds more totally sounds like they would yeah. know more. And there's as we all know there's a lot of damage you can do with diet advice. 100%. 100%. And and also it sort of di- like does damage I suppose to everybody else in that space yeah like it's very easy to market I think we're going to talk about this marketing a bit more but in another episode but it's very easy to market yourself as something so like to market yourself as inclusive or um trauma-informed or aware of in case of diet aware of uh eating disorders and disordered eating but what that means is very different business to business and how much attention is paid to like the action needed to ensure that happens yeah or whether it's just like we say we are so we are yeah is very different and like these are also the big hitters aren't they in the wellness industry you know yoga personal training coaching mm-hmm. um therapy yeah uh dietitians it's like there is this murky in these practices which are quite well established so then when you think about all that hundreds of other new things that you know we see coming up all the time whether it's like uh energy healing sound healing doing you know something you're you know really wild news thing it can that get I'm very murky so very murky quickly because yeah. who, who's regulating that space no one like and it can feel like the world west i guess to some extent you know you don't know but often people and like i put myself in this bracket to want to try stuff because we think it might help and it mm. sounds cool and interesting and but that's when you're putting yourself in potentially like yeah vulnerable places or or things get a bit culty like things get a bit culty like you can go out for dinner and you have a meal and you like it or you don't like it and that's your decision and most people can make that decision for themselves and be like pretty certain of that so it's for me or it's not for me but if you go into some of these spaces and maybe this is slightly more the coaching yoga spaces you can go and have a really unpleasant, uncomfortable experience and really not enjoy it and be told that that is a positive thing. Totally. And sometimes it is, and that's the nuance of it. Uncomfortable experiences can be really good for you. But if someone is telling you that it's really good for you, there's so much to unpack in that. And because then if that comes with the messaging of like, yeah, you know, push your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to go deep to heal. Totally. It's resistance. Yeah. (laughs) What are you resisting? Yeah. You can't do a back bend because you're holding your childhood trauma in your spine or like whatever bullshit they want to say. Yeah. And it's like, no, I can't do a back bend because I've got a few spine. Right. Or like literally physically. Yeah. No. It's just not for my body. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is where we get into, like, the power dynamics of these things. And um, yoga teachers, therapists, PTs, even, 
to varying degrees all have an air of authority you're you are it's really hard to have an equal power dynamic with someone who is trained in something and they're teaching you how yeah. to do it and you're paying, them you're paying them money yeah yeah you're paying for their hopefully expertise at least knowledge so what happens when for example a teacher presses you into an adjustment that you're not comfortable with how do you navigate whether that is oh it's because it's new for my body and actually that helped me get better into that pose or when do you say get your fucking hands off yeah there is a sense of you know if you're being adjusted then it's like you know you're sort of the focus it's like Mm. you might you know I definitely used to feel that you know like oh my practice is really important like this teacher really cares about my triangle like and they 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 don't really like it you know ultimately it doesn't matter what the pose looks like anyway Mm. but there is that sense of like oh you know and you might want to keep going you might want to you know or even push yourself I suppose like physically into a place that's not very good not good for your body I remember a comment that a yoga teacher said about my practice from I mean must be 10 years ago and you know she was a great teacher and there was nothing wrong with the comment and it was a nice comment um about me being very in my body but I remember that so sharply I think you know when people in positions of power are saying things about your body and about your practice you can get into such difficult areas and and you know if you're talking about yoga and hypermobility and being praised for getting into these poses or even like um PT and are like oh yeah she goes really hard at the gym she can do it really well like she she always pushes herself those kinds of compliments can be really can be unethical but they can also be quite quite damaging totally where do we find the boundaries between power dynamics and and I mean I'm going to mention transference really quickly we're not going to get deeply into that but you know hopefully that doesn't happen but you know particularly with therapy those kinds of ideas and coaching come up and and in industries like coaching and therapy if you have trained with someone good and your members of the various bodies then there are practices that you do that you get outside influence from like supervision where you have something come up you would go to someone external who is qualified and talk about how you would deal with that there's also things like self-reflection so you get trained to do this kind of stuff and it informs how you practice and hopefully you look at something that you've said you reflect on it you think how you might do it better how you might do it differently but in most of these sort of more fluffy there's no there's nothing like that and a lot of us work alone yeah or potentially with friends who might just be like you're an amazing teacher and not be like actually I'm not sure that how you said that would be quite right right yeah going back what Mm. is transference because I have heard it mentioned (laughs) but I don't really understand what it is okay let me look up a definition so that I can be sure that I'm saying this right because okay so 
it is so usually in some sort of therapeutic setting like coaching therapy it's a person transferring their feelings about someone else onto their therapist so maybe having feelings about your mum that transfer onto your therapist and you begin to see them in in, in that light like it's a complicated thing and, and I'm definitely not an expert you can obviously look it up if you want to but it's it's when feelings get complicated yeah. and it happens in yoga as well but it doesn't we don't know about it and you don't know about it unless you're in kind of a therapeutic space there's also counter transference when your therapist does the same thing to you so like maybe sees you as like a friend or a daughter or reminds them of their mother you know yeah. anything yeah so it's really complicated and it's not something that you would know yeah unless you know right and it's not something that you're going to talk about on your yoga teacher training or your pt qualification and it might not be something that you ever have to deal with or think about but it might be something that you might have to the only thing that we were ever told in my yoga teacher training was like you know like how to make sure like you sort of left the space safely you know sort of in terms of like looking after your physical self really? like in terms of safety i guess like you know if you were teaching late at night and like making oh, okay. sure right um like safeguarding safeguarding and actually the 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 weirdest thing it's not funny actually but i'm laughing now as a way to as a coping mechanism right. <laughs> okay. there was a a man Mm. who would phone up, find yoga teachers listed online and would phone them up and would get them in a conversation. It, he did, He was saying that he practised some kind of martial art and he was like really wanting to get involved with female yoga teachers in a discussion about that pelvic floor health and get really into it and talk about people having like their legs wrapped around his head, basically. It was so weird. Anyway. That's not a martial art I'm familiar with. No, no. Anyway, he phoned me once and I didn't know this. I only found out about this because there was then like a forum. Right. But he called me once and I was in my car and so it came up on my speakerphone. Mm. My husband was in the car as well and he was trying to chat to me about the banders, which is kind of yoga practice the, to do with your pelvic floor and your diaphragm, diaphragm isn't it? So it's sort of all... Yeah, around like strength and things like that. And anyway, so he was trying to engage me in this conversation and I was just like, I'm in Cornwall on my holiday. I'll, you know, send me an email. And anyway, it transpired that he was prolific, had called like hundreds of female yoga teachers trying to get into these really weird conversations with them about like, which is so weird, which is kind of the other way around in terms of this, some of the weird stuff that goes on yeah there's a lot of that and you know stalking and harassment is a is a problem for te you know largely female teachers i'm sure it happens to men as well but we kind of laugh about the weirdos I that you get i know and it's it's not funny and and i think in the industry there's there's a lot of really dark stuff going on um which is not the topic of this podcast but that's obviously something we should mention in relation to ethics that sexual exploitation um and harassment is rife and and is isn't dealt with it very well by Anyone? studios <laughs> yeah or um sometimes they just don't know what to do yeah and i guess this is the the conversation around like regulation 
and boundaries so like personal boundaries but also how do we regulate these industries more in industries that are quite resistant to regulation like I think it's been notorious that yoga is fairly resistant to regulation it's different in in the the other instances I think and and in things like physio you're already bound by very strict guidelines and reporting mechanisms um you know but with yoga teachers if you have an experience and you report it to their governing body I don't know of anyone who's done this and what the process is so I, I can't really comment on that I, I would have thought that it doesn't happen that often I don't know of any big cases where people have been reported and then thrown out like I can't think of anything that's happened in that way I mean we know about a lot of people like Bikram and and even like with with Bikram there's been like court cases but he's still teaching in like trainings in Mexico in other countries so kind of yeah just illustrates how difficult it is to sort of actually you know and and I guess it's like the scales of justice isn't it in terms of someone might just unknowingly have given you an adjustment that you didn't you didn't Mm. like is very different from like you know Bikram who was allegedly well <laughs> i mean i don't know what watch we can say doc- legally like <laughs> i'd watch that doc- watch the documentary if you haven't seen it and you feel that is something that you're interested in and it's not going to be too triggering for you that documentary is r- What's really it? Is fascinating it called it's called bikram yoga uh i think it's on netflix it is on it is on netflix it's called bikram yoga yeah, you type oh, Bikram in, you'll get it. It's called Yoga Guru Predator, I think. So, oh, well, yeah, yeah, that is really good. But like, I guess it's sort of like whether you, you know, whether it's just a case of saying to somebody if you feel comfortable, which is the other thing, isn't it? Because it's mm. quite hard to have. I think it's hard to have conversations with people that you love and trust on a personal level. So, like saying to your yoga teacher, actually, that I don't want that, is quite hard. Yeah, and I. I know a lot, anecdotally, I know of a lot of different things that have happened to people in this industry that maybe fall more under coercive control yeah. or are less easy to prove um, that have happened. And and it's really hard to make anything happen about that. You know, the UK libel laws, I think, are quite strong. The In order to get police prosecution... It's quite a high burden of proof as far as I understand it. So there is a lot of things happening behind closed doors and there's a lot of things that people in the yoga industry know about that people outside of the industry don't know. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's the case for oh, other industries such, yeah, as well. Totally. Because we know it's everywhere. So I suppose what, what might be interesting to talk about is how how people can navigate the space themselves, know who might be say more trustworthy more likely (laughs) to be acting ethically than others yeah I mean if you are looking for let's start with a yoga teacher like what you should you be looking for what do you look for if you're going to go to a class is there anything that you uh well so now I would always make sure that anybody that I practice with had at least a 200 hour teacher training Mm. qualification or 
preferably a 500 hour teacher training if they were teaching something quite specific I think or if I was going for something specific make sure like postnatal check that they're trained in that yeah I think making sure that they were uh I suppose like open to feedback and also (laughs) like making an effort to be inclusive in their teaching so you know whether that's just trying to use sort of language which is inclusive to people that then that there's not sort of in with yoga like gimmicks or lots of sort of stuff that looks really cultural appropriation if Mm. there you know lots of sort of you know yeah things that aren't necessarily like respectful of the heritage of the practice um but I guess this is because I've done the training and so that you know yeah and I know what what I what I want yeah I I think I I mean I would have similar I would I generally look at people's yoga Instagram and see if they're posting loads of poses if they are I'm not interested and I would and that isn't that interesting that that is so, like for me as well that's such a turn off yeah such a turn off yeah and I but for a lot of people that's like I want to look like that I want to do yeah. that and I I get that but it's yeah I don't I don't enjoy it and I've definitely posted back in the day like mm. me doing poses which I thought looked really cool and now I don't feel great about that but that's just right, well, learning yeah, isn't we it? all learn Slip, don't we as we go self-development and I think I wouldn't look necessarily for a specific qualification I think I'm, so maybe I'm pickier than most about teachers. I would look for some level of trauma-informed. I would look for someone to be doing CPDs and listing their qualifications. CPDs, so continual professional development. So like someone who is not just stopped at a 200 hours and yeah. like, I'm done. Yeah. And preferably, again, I know this, I would look at where they trained as well. Yeah. But that maybe doesn't mean anything to other people. And a lot of people don't list their um, qualifications. And, you know, no shade to this, but a lot of people go to Bali and do a 200-hour or a 500-hour. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But actually, I also want someone to have taught for a bit of time as well. Yeah. So that they've learned how to hold space. Because... Doing your yoga teacher training and actually being a good teacher are like very different things. Yeah. Incredibly different things. Yeah. But we are probably quite a tough crowd. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> I'm very aware I'm a tough crowd. Like, I'm very fussy. But I think also what I would look for in a yoga teacher is really different from what I would look for in a PT or a therapist or a coach. Totally. So it's really hard. like it's hard to know I think I suppose a PT might be similar but I would probably look at qualifications because I've had a child even though it was a while ago I would want them to have some sort of postnatal knowledge if I was going to work one-on-one with them I would want them to be really aware of consent and boundaries in terms of like hands-on adjustments with therapists I would look at the the bodies that they were a member of but actually I say that and while I'm saying that I'm thinking I didn't do that with with my either of my past therapists or current therapists I didn't actually look at their qualifications I went by recommendation 
I think that per, like personal recommendation for me really helpful. Mm. Um, and if I see somebody that I know has been to like a PT or d- tried something or a, you know something new spiritual, yeah, shit that I think I might like, then I'm normally like, yeah, I'm gonna try that. Um, or and like testimonials, but I do know that sometimes they're not. You know, it's possible to manipulate testimonials and maybe you're using really old ones or maybe you just work with one person. So I think just sort of really checking someone out and making sure that it is actually valid and that you can sort of really see that fully. I think it's really good to have a combination of all of the above. So if people come to a class and they have a specific issue, I have a physio who I refer people to who I think is really good and who has treated me. And I would say, you know, this is someone who I think is good. Here's, here is someone who can actually genuinely help totally. you. Um, because it's not up to me to, to fix your injury. But I think having a combination of testimonials, qualifications and experience um, and also just meeting someone yeah. and going with what your body and your mind like what your gut is saying about them totally because usually <laughs> i mean i am getting wellness seen out but intuition is like there for a reason and i guess mm. it's like if something doesn't feel right for you like that's valid enough reason not to pursue it yeah i th- i think things cannot feel right for a complicated reasons but generally if something doesn't feel right whatever the reason it's probably not right. Yeah. If something feels off about someone, if someone says something that makes you think no, then try to trust yourself and not override that with the kind of like, oh, I should, or it'd be good for me. But And also, I mean, that's the thing about the vast growth of the wellness space is that mm-hmm. like, if you probably can find somebody else that you do really vibe with and for sure. you do feel really safe with. I think that one of the other things is that there, you know, sometimes a practitioner might, you know, they might unwittingly do something or say something, mm. in, you know, that that maybe they just haven't, they're not aware that that's actually like a really unhelpful term or, and of course it's not like always up to like you to educate them or sort of call them out on that. And that's yeah. totally fine. Um, and I think it's sort of, it's about, if you're in that space, make you know, being open-minded, trying to be more, you know, develop, improve yourself, like be, yeah. being open to like learning, you know, how you can be more inclusive, how you yeah, can think, be more. I think reflective practice and, and sometimes training can be really good for that. And like, you know, we all fuck up and we all say things that are like, oh God, I wish I hadn't said totally. that. That wasn't the right thing to say. However experienced or knowledgeable we are. But I guess reflecting on that and thinking, okay, if that happened again, what might I do? Um, is something that I think is useful. But also, like, it's really possible to get so bound up with doing things right that yeah. you're really scared of of doing things wrong. Yeah, in your head. In your head to get too in your head and be like, I've got to be super inclusive and I've got I've got to do this and I've got to use the right terms for everything. And most of the time you're doing fine yeah most of the time if you've got good intentions then hopefully that transfers yeah into what you're doing 
But I do, I do think an ethical framework is, is really supportive. The right kind of framework. It's just like what that is 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 so difficult to work out. A hundred percent. Because if you've got those guidelines that are like appropriate for now, you know, appropriate for um, what you're doing, that you've got the support around you, it, it means that you can you know, do more of that almost like subconsciously and then you can ha- focus more of your conscious mind on delivering a great, you know, experience or a great, great class. Yeah. If you really know what your ethics are and what you want to get across and then, yeah, like you say, hopefully then you don't have to overthink it once you're in it and that like, you might get into an overthink in the middle of a class, which has definitely happened to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the more that you practice working within your scope of practice and referring on when you need to and trying to use inclusive language and actions, then hopefully that just builds and you learn as you go. Yeah, and you can provide a better experience for the people coming. You've been listening to Selfie Development with Katie and Annabelle. For more updates, come and follow us at Selfie Development Pod on Instagram. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. This podcast was recorded at Everybody's Studio in Oxford. Thanks to Nick and Matt at Story94 for editing and production.